Patrick then looked down at the squishy mud between his toes and suddenly noticed a set of animal tracks on the muddy bank. He frowned. That's a panther. He glanced across to the other side of the creek, just as he heard a sound that made the hair on the back of his neck rise. A panther came leaping out of the woods and was headed straight for Cato. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. And hey, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please tell a friend, tell a bunch of friends. This is our second season, and we've gained listeners from nearly all 50 states and around the world from over 40 different countries. And so, hey, the more the merrier. Please spread the word, and we say thank you. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 16 from the audiobook The Voice, the Revolution, and the Key by our author extraordinaire, Jenny L. Cody. And we'll hear from Jenny herself a little later in the program. Right now, let's bring out our hosts. Man's best friend, especially if you're a Scottish man. Hi, laddie! Maximilian Braveheart the Bruce. Next, the cat who's outlived her nine lives many times over. Ah, oui, monsieur. Lisette Briand. And finally, the mouse who's rarely as quiet as one. I say, ha-ha! You say a lot more than that. Uh, Nigel P. Monaco. So, take it away, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Greetings, lads and lassies, and welcome to the podcast. It is our distinct privilege to be in your presence today. There's presence? I say, folks, uh, pay him no mind. After all, he doesn't. Wait, what? Precisely. For today we shall dive into a bit deeper waters than our announcer chap is generally accustomed, as he is commonly found splashing around the kiddie pool, as it were. Hey, <laughs> I owed you that one, old boy. No, I'm just saying, we have a lot of fun at the kiddie pool. Eh, right. Well, most of you know, I'll be cutting the announcer lad a wee bit of slack here, because, uh, well, just how deep a pool are you talking, then? It was just a figure of speech, Max. Aye, thank you, lass. Now, how deep? Now, Max, old chap, we were speaking metaphorically. Well, now how about speaking English, then? Uh, help me out here, my pet. Uh, we, oui, Nigel, uh, see, depth we are referring to is in intellect. Intellect? We. Oui. That be near Lake Michigan? No. Because I'll not be going in Lake Michigan, then. That'd be way too deep. I say, old girl, uh, this seems a bit hopeless, what? Oui, I shall move on. Uh, in today's episode, Mon Henry, <laughs> our young Patrick Henry, finds out the challenges of being homeschooled 18th century style. <laughs> you remember, Max, when his father was teaching him Latin? You struggled with it then? And your struggle seems to continue. Aye, Latin. It'd be all Greek to me. Oh, dear. Oh. Hey, somebody had to say it. <laughs> I know, right? Give me a high paw then, huh? Aye. Uh, well, uh, Liz, I fear we'll both regret this, but uh, I say, announcer chap. Uh, it's Denny. So it is. Uh, are you all familiar with Latin? Uh, no. You mean like Guatemala or no. Costa Rica? No, I've never been there. No. Mexico uh, once, but that's the closest. Monsieur, that is Latin America. He meant just plain Latin. 
Oh, yeah. I get those at the coffee shop. I have them sprinkle a little cinnamon on top and... No, monsieur, that is a latte. No, it's not that much. I just get the small ones. <gasps> Liz, I'm finding myself a tad bit uh, gobsmacked. Uh, oui, Nigel. This is a lost cause. Uh, quite. So let's just have the old boy read our story then, what? Aye, in English. Oui, Max. He shall read in English. Except for the Latin words. <laughs> this should be interesting. <laughs> Chapter 16. Cato Teaching. Two weeks later. Patrick rested his chin in his hand and slid his elbow down onto the wooden table. Spread out before him was a book on Latin. He could hear frogs calling to one another outside. He sighed, wishing he were outside on this warm summer evening with the eagle, instead of stuck inside with his nose in a book. The dancing light from the flickering candle inside the glass globe caught his attention, and his gaze drifted from the book to the lamp. Perfor et abdura, dolor hic tibi proderit olim, John Henry said as he saw Patrick sitting there, clearly not excited about his work. Patrick sat up straight and smiled weakly at his father. What does that mean, father? Be patient and tough. Some day this pain will be useful to you, John translated, sitting down next to him, placing a skinny booklet on the table. He smiled and leaned over to tap the Latin book. Studying ancient languages and history is vital to understanding our world today. Patrick wrapped his arms around the chair back. How? Man hasn't changed throughout history. Oh, the clothes we wear, the languages we speak, and the places we live change, sure. But the heart of man remains the same, John explained. If you learn the behavior of men and nations across time, you'll see the same patterns repeated again and again. You'll come to understand human behavior, and that will help you predict what men might do. So the past will help me figure out the future? Patrick asked, gliding his hand over the candle to make the flame dance. Aye, that it will. John rested his arms on the table next to Patrick. You'll find that, just as this lamp gives light to the room, the experiences you gain from your own life history will give light to your path. Patrick nodded, but didn't respond. He continued to stare at the light. I just wish it were easier to learn. Has it been easy for your eagle to learn how to fly? John asked him. Patrick smiled and gave a singular laugh. <laughs> no, he's been trying hard for two weeks. John leaned back with a knowing grin. And is he making progress? Yes, Patrick answered hesitantly. He's slowly reaching the higher branches of his learning tree. And when he finally lifts off from that tree, it'll no longer be his tree of learning but his tree of libertas, liberty, for he will be free to soar as he was meant to do. Liberty is a precious jewel, Patrick. Always remember that. John smiled and put his hand over the glass globe. The heat from the flame licked at his fingers. He grimaced and quickly pulled back his hand. The flame is hot. See for yourself. Patrick looked at his father with a grin and then tried to do the same. He rested his hand on the heat of the flame, but quickly pulled it back. Ouch! John smiled and patted Patrick on the back. 
What kind of lessons do you remember most, Pat? The ones that are easy, or the ones that are hard and maybe even cause you a little pain, like that flame? The boy twisted his mouth as he thought about his answer. Well, for math, I most remember the harder problems because I have to spend more time figuring them out. Maybe that's why you like math more than any other subject, John offered. We tend to care more about what we've had to struggle with and then conquered. So, as you struggle to learn the hard things, you'll better remember them, including Latin. John mussed Patrick's hair and stood up. Just like the eagle learning to fly, Patrick thought. He smiled. All right, Father, I'll keep trying. Capta est optimus mundus creatus vitus hominum historia, stated John with a raised finger. The world of man is best captured through the lives of the men who created history. Plutarch said that, and tomorrow we start studying the great men of Greek and Roman history. Patrick's eyes lit up. Do we get to read the book Mr. Gilliman sent? Aye, and I'll let ye and William each choose one of the lives to present an oral report in a month or so, John answered. He then picked up the small booklet on the table. Consider this extra credit reading material to go along with your Plutarch. This just arrived today from Williamsburg. Liz's heart raced wildly in the corner of the room as she saw Patrick pick up the booklet. Cato, a tragedy, Patrick read. His eyes grew excited with anticipation. This is the play Cousin David wrote us about, the one he saw with Mr. Gilliman. Aye, but remember that this is a play. He emphasized, Ficto voluptatis causa sint proxima veris, which means fictions meant to please should approximate the truth. I challenge you to read the account of Cato and Plutarch and compare it with the play. See if fiction approximates the truth. I will, Father, Patrick said, looking at the cover of the play. He squinted to read the small print. B. Franklin... Philadelphia. John leaned over to hug Patrick. Time for bed. Longissimus dies quito conditor. Even the longest day soon ends. Patrick quickly flipped through the pages of his Latin book and looked up at his father with a big grin. Dormi bene. John raised his eyebrows and smiled. Excellent. Good night to you. As Patrick climbed into bed, John leaned over to blow out the candle. Did you ever name your eagle, Patrick? No, I guess I should have by now, Patrick answered. I'll think of something. John smiled at his son and blew out the candle. In absentia luci tenebrae vincunt. In the absence of light, darkness prevails. Sic in feet, Liz thought with a grin in the dark. So it begins. One month later. He's halfway up the tree now, Nigel exclaimed, holding his paw to shield his eyes from the sun. Cato was slowly jumping his way branch to branch up the tree and was able to fly from the boulder on his own to the lower branches. Good show, Cato! Aye, and he can even catch his own fish now, 
Max added, running ahead of Patrick to join Nigel and Liz, who were already at the river early on this summer morning. I bet even the gruff old eagle be smiling about that now. Ah, you see, that old eagle knew what young Cato needed at the time. Liz sighed with satisfaction. I did not know if he could make it at first, but he has chosen to be an eagle and rise above his circumstances. I am very proud of Cato. And how remarkable it is that young Patrick even chose to name Cato Cato. Nigel quipped, if only he knew he was simply repeating history as the young eagle was already so named. Aye, but the lad still has to take off. Staying on the branches ain't true liberty for an eagle, stated Max, looking up into the tree. Oui, you are right, Max. For this to be a liberty tree, Cato needs to be completely free of it, no? Liz added. Max! Patrick called, walking into the clearing with his gun slung over his shoulder and his fishing pole in hand. Where are you, boy? Here, lad, Max barked, running over to meet Patrick. There you are, Patrick said with a smile, leaning down to muss Max's fur. How's Cato doing today? Do you think he's ready to take off yet? I hope so, lad, Max thought. Patrick stopped to put a hand up to his brow and gaze up at the eagle in the branches. He smiled, seeing the young bird still there. Well, it's all up to him at this point. I'm going fishing. He walked over to the bank and set his musket down on the rocks. He took his fishing pole, baited the hook, and walked to the water's edge to cast his line into the slow-moving current. Just then, Cato flapped his wings and lifted off from the branch to soar to the creek with a confident screech. His wings were still somewhat awkward, but he made his way over to the creek, spotting a fish and plunging into the water with a splash. He hadn't yet learned how to grab a fish and take off, so he held on to the fish in his beak and swam to the other creek bank. Max, Liz, and Nigel cheered while Patrick cheered. Huzzah! For Cato's catch. Patrick then looked down at the squishy mud between his toes and suddenly noticed a set of animal tracks on the muddy bank. He frowned. That's a panther. He quickly lifted his gaze to trace the path of the tracks and saw they disappeared at the water's edge. He glanced across to the other side of the creek just as he heard a sound that made the hair on the back of his neck rise. A panther came leaping out of the woods and was headed straight for Cato. Patrick dropped his fishing pole and staggered back to retrieve his musket. Max started barking wildly down at the water's edge to warn Cato and ran up and back along the bank, frustrated to be on the wrong side of the creek. Get out of there, lad! A big cat be coming for you! The panther was closing in fast. Cato saw the big cat heading his way, and his heart started pounding out of his chest. He spread his wings and staggered back a step, paralyzed with fear. Patrick's hands were shaking as he loaded the musket ball into his gun and poured the gunpowder into the pan. He cocked his gun, lowered it to take aim, and just as the panther was about to reach Cato, he fired. A sickening, guttural growl rose from the big cat as it was hit in the leg. It stumbled, but quickly got up and disappeared back into the woods. Smoke from the gunshot swirled around Patrick's face, but as it dissipated, he saw a beautiful sight. Cato had lifted off the ground 
and was soaring up into the sky. He did it! The young boy finally flew! Nigel exclaimed, hugging Liz. Tears filled Liz's eyes. It took facing liberty or death to make Cato fly. Max ran up to Patrick and nuzzled the happy young boy whose eyes brimmed with proud tears. Alice Achille, Cato? On Eagle's Wings. One week later. Ub initio, John Henry said, looking over the top of the book at Patrick and William as he paced in the front of the room. The two boys looked at one another and then started reciting a list of phrases. Stacks of books had been placed on a wooden table where Patrick and William sat in their father's study. Greek, Latin, and French language guides, mathematics, English grammar, and classic literature including Plutarch, Virgil, Livy, and Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. "'What are they saying with all this strange talk?' Max whispered to Liz. Liz smiled. "'John Henry is teaching Latin to the boys. Ob initio means from the beginning.' "'I say, have I missed anything?' Nigel asked, joining Max and Liz. "'Nothing that I can make out, lad,' Max answered with a frown. "'Bonjour, Nigel.' John is reviewing a new list of Latin terms before going to today's history lesson, Liz answered. Plutarch's lives is on the agenda for today. William is to review Plutarch's account of Julius Caesar, and Patrick is to review Plutarch's account of Cato. Nigel adjusted his spectacles. Splendid! At last! Historia vitae magistra! Oh, Mousy's doing it, Max grumbled. Can't you speak in words I know? Nigel said the Latin phrase, History, the teacher of life. Liz translated. This is a special day, no? I have been waiting to see what Patrick gleans from Cato, uh, both of them. Ita vero. Thus indeed, Nigel replied. It will be the greatly anticipated conclusion of the voice from the past riddle. Patrick... Why don't you go first, since your character was first in the historical timeline? John asked. Remember, I want to hear what you learned most about this character. You can use segments of Plutarch verbatim, if you wish, as long as you relay what was most important to you. Patrick nodded, stood, and gathered his paper. My report is on Cato the Younger, he started, clearing his throat. <clears> throat> He was the great-grandson of Cato the Elder and was left an orphan together with his brother, Scipio. He began to learn slowly at first, but once he started learning, his memory was strong and determined. Plutarch said, And such, in fact, we find generally to be the course of nature. Men of fine genius are readily reminded of things, but those who receive the most pains and difficulty remember best. Patrick paused and shared a grin with his father before resuming his report. Every new thing they learn, being, as it were, burnt and branded on their minds. Liz sat enraptured with every word that rolled off Patrick's tongue. Her heart thrilled at observing the Plutarch connection branded on his mind. Cato was very obedient, and he would do whatever he was commanded, but he wanted also to ask the reason and inquire the cause of everything. 
He loved his brother above all, Patrick said, looking at his brother William, who rolled his eyes at him with a big grin. Cato devoted himself to the study, above everything, of moral and political doctrine, and he pursued every virtue, especially justice. He learned the art of speaking and debating in public, but would never recite his speeches before company. He said, I will begin to speak when I have that to say which had not better be unsaid. Plutarch writes, His speech was straightforward, full of matter, and rough, at the same time that there was a certain grace about his rough statements which won the attention. And the speaker's character, showing itself in all he said, added to his severe language something that excited feelings of natural pleasure and interest. His voice was full and sounding and sufficient to be heard by so great a multitude, and its vigor and capacity quite indefatigable, for he often would speak a whole day and never stop. Cato loved discipline and showed bravery, courage, and wisdom in everything. He was given command of a Roman army, and his men loved him. Whatever he commanded them to do, he did himself. He was more like a common soldier than an officer. Patrick stopped and took a breath. When his time of service was over, Cato's men gave not only prayers and praises, but tears and embraces, and they spread their clothes at his feet and kissed his hand as he passed. This was an honor that Romans at the time were scarcely paid, even to a very few of their generals. He was a man of honesty and brought integrity back to the Roman treasury by exposing corrupt practices. He never missed an assembly of the people or sitting of the Senate, being always anxious and on the watch for those who lightly, or as a matter of interest, passed votes in favor of this or that person. Cato gained a great and wonderful reputation and many times refused to hold office, as the demands were many. But some offices he sought with danger, that he might defend the liberty of the people and their government. As Julius Caesar rose to power and threatened the Roman Republic as a tyrant, Cato warned the people that he would do so if not stopped. He said, If you had believed me or regarded my advice, you would not now have been reduced to stand in fear of one man or to put all your hopes in one alone. Cato tragically ended his life rather than live under the tyrant Julius Caesar. Patrick reported and then paused to conclude, What I have learned most about Cato is to always speak the truth boldly and without fear, for the cost of liberty lost is high. Just then Cato flew by the window, and Patrick smiled. But the jewel of liberty gained is worth the price. Ah, oh, magnifique! What an inspiration was Cato the Younger! Aye, and Cato the Wee Eagle looked pretty inspired too! Ah, indeed, and I must admit, uh, announcer chap, you held your own with the uh, Latin terminology. Well, thanks, Nigel. In fact, to continue our theme, if you'll fire up the old news nugget music, I shall scurry over to my news desk post haste. Well, okay then. And now for another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Here's Nigel P. Monaco in the newsroom. I'm here. Let me catch my breath. 
I have tiny little lungs, you know. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> uh, greetings one and all. Uh, today's news nuggets focus on Latin. Considered by most to be a dead language, I think we'll find portions of it are still very much alive. The language originated roughly 700 BC in Latium, which would soon become known as Rome. Thus, with the rise of the Roman Empire, Latin became the predominant language in much of the civilized world, and is still the basis for many of our modern languages, such as Italian, Spanish, and French. Therefore, much of the early Christian church spoke Latin. But the fact is, much of our English terminology has been derived from Latin and other ancient languages. In fact, that word terminology combines the Latin word terminus, which means word or expression, with the Greek word logia, which means speaking of. So, terminology is a Latin and Greek mashup that means speaking of words, which is what I'm doing. I'm speaking of words. In today's world, you'll find Latin terms heavily used in science, medicine, and law, which will someday be far more useful to him than our young Patrick Henry now realizes. So, stay tuned. For Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco, reporting. Well done, Mosey. And I even understood most of it. Yeah, me too. Really? Hmm. hmm. Uh, anyway, it is time to visit another brilliant mind, uh, Miss Jenny L. Cody. Aye, time for Jenny's Corner. Hello, Miss Jenny. Hey, Max and Liz. Well, last time you told us the kind of books you liked when you were a wee lass. Oui, but uh, to tell such a deep historical account like this story... You must have studied a lot as well. So can you share some of your uh, research for the voice, the revolution, and the key? Aye, uh, as long as it be in English, then. Some books that have specifically inspired me for the voice, the revolution, and the key, of course, are the biographies on Patrick Henry himself, including William Wirt, the first biography ever written about Patrick Henry, uh, but then all of the others, there's a wonderful book called A Son of Thunder. There are some smaller kids' books, even, that I've read about Patrick Henry, Where Were You on the 29th of May, and anything that I can get my hands on. And a lot of the books written about Patrick Henry were written so long ago, some even a 100 years ago. So it was really time to try my hand at telling Patrick Henry's story because the only things out there for kids to read about Patrick Henry are picture books, real small chapter books, and not the detailed story of not only his life, but watching the entire saga of the birth of America, the United States of America, through the American Revolution, and showing the context of Patrick Henry immersed in the most crucial developing moments of our country's history. So all of the books on Patrick Henry I've read, but then I've added to that all the other books just on the American Revolution. 1776 by David McCullough is one of my key sources that I use, as well as a whole host of others that I can't name all. It's close to 400 books <laughs> that I have on the American Revolution. So if you start reading young and fall in love with books young, that is a gift that will follow you throughout your life. So keep reading. Never stop reading and learning about history, whether it be through talking animals or not. 
but I hope you're going to like the kind with talking animals because I think there's a few listening to this podcast that would agree with me. What do you think, Max and Liz and Nigel? Uh, I think you are correct, Miss Jenny. Uh, Merci. Great advice, too. Never stop reading, never stop learning. Brilliant. Which reminds me, uh, this season we have the study guide to go along with this podcast. Right you are, my pet. The VRK Study Guide. No matter what your reading level, you can download a copy that's just right for you. Then, as you listen to this podcast, you can quiz yourself on how much you've learned. Ah, and have a whole lot of fun doing it, too. Indeed. Just go to Miss Jenny's website, epicorderoftheseven.net, and look under the Books tab. Click on the VRK Study Guide and download your very own copy. And huzzah! You'll be digging deeper than Max burying a bone. And that'd be really deep. And voila, you'll be reading more. You'll be learning more. And you'll be listening to talking animals. Words I certainly live by. <laughs> well, you don't have much of a choice then, do you, lad? Ah, right you are, Max. Give me a high paw. All right. Well, that's our podcast today, as I leave you with this thought. Propedium te videbo. Uh-oh. His mouth finally give out on him, then. Ah, uh, no, Max. He was actually speaking Latin. What? Yes, he was saying, in Latin, See you soon! Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A biento, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.